Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I hung a sign on this heart of mine saying, Do not disturb do not disturb Had heartaches before, I wanted no more. So do not disturb. What's going on in that room is a riot. <laughs> yes, there's really something wild afoot. As Doris Day and Rod Taylor, two madcap young marrieds from America, bring down the house all over Europe in Do Not Disturb. Did you ever get so romantically carried away in London with your husband that you didn't know what side of the road you were on? Doris does. Did you ever break up the snootiest fox hunt in England? Doris does. You're not about to get it! No! Stop it! I said down! No, 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 no. Get down! I said down! Did you ever turn your mansion into a madhouse menagerie? Doris does. Did you ever have your husband go off to Scotland with his secretary on business? Doris does. I thought the nights were cool in Scotland. Did you ever have an amorous triangle blow up right in your face? Doris does. And when the Latin wolf still pursues her, you just can't believe the complications they cook up. We're going to find you a lover. I want to get to my wife. You mean Janet's in Paris? Janet's in Paris with that sex maniac you dumped in her lap. Paris. To love. This will be a night to remember. And this will be a day to remember. Doris Day, that is. A glorious day. The greatest day in years. With a wardrobe costing a king's ransom. And enough excitement to last a lifetime. Oops, <laughs> wrong bedroom. Always be the way we're dreaming. Do not disturb. Do not disturb. Our love. I know it's dangerous, but oh, do not disturb. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover Do Not Disturb from 1965. The studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date was December 22nd, 1965. The running time was 102 minutes, and it was in Technicolor. That's what they used to call it back then. The budget was $3.8 million, and the box office was good. It made $10.4 million, which would be the equivalent of $90 million today. It was the 22nd top-grossing film of 1965. 
Leonard Moulton of the Classic Movie Guy gives it two and a half out of four stars. His quick little synopsis, it's a mild Doris Day vehicle with Rod Taylor as an executive husband who brings her to suburban England. She meets the suave Sergio Fantoni, enraging her jealous hubby. Not up to her earlier fashion romps. Rotten Tomatoes, there's not enough reviews to give it any sort of rating. So there you go. Uh, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. It was probably a few years ago, actually. Doris Day is one of my favorite classic actresses, and I pretty much made it a mission to see all of her films uh, that are available. And and this is a pretty standard 1960s uh, screwball comedy for Doris Day. And while it's not up to the the quality of work that she had with Rock Hudson or James Garner, it's still very enjoyable. And and here's one if you stumbled upon it while watching uh, Turner Classic Movies. It's a good one just to leave on if you just want to relax with something that's not too serious. So we'll get into the main cast. Of course, you have Doris Day, who plays Janet Harper. And by 1965, Day was one of the most popular actresses in Hollywood. And crazy enough, she would only make five more movies before retiring from Hollywood. Though she did appear on her own TV series called The Doris Day Show from 1968 to 1973. However, the only reason she did the TV series was because her husband, Martin Melcher, who actually died in 1968, had signed her to the series. Also, she discovered that she was broke as her now-deceased husband and then-business manager uh, Jerome Bernard Rosenthal had lost all of her money. Rosenthal had been her attorney since 1949 when he represented her in an uncontested divorce action against her second husband, who was saxophonist George Wielder. Day then filed a lawsuit against Rosenthal in 1969, and she actually won the decision in 1974, but she didn't actually receive compensation until a settlement in 1979. So there aren't great things about Melcher that they were saying, and so she uh, she really didn't know how to pick men, and maybe that's kind of why she got out of Hollywood at a fairly early age. She was only in her 40s. And as we're recording this, Doris Day actually just passed away a few weeks ago, and I believe she was 98. Rod Taylor plays Mike Harper, and Taylor Taylor's career started in Australia. He was born uh, before becoming a star in American movies. He was well-known in pictures by 1965. Uh, you know, The Time Machine, he was the voice of the of Pongo in Disney's 101 Dalmatians. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. He was in Sunday in New York with Jane Fonda and, and many others. And he would co-star with Doris Day on one more film the following year, called The Glass Bottom Boat, which I also own, so we'll be talking about it someday. The director was Ralph Levy, and Levy was best known as a TV director for shows that started as radio programs, which eventually transitioned into television, like the George Burns and Gracie Allen show in the early 50s and the Jack Benny program. He also directed the uh, Petticoat Junction in the 1960s, but he only directed two movies, and that was this one, Do Not Disturb, and Bedtime Stories, which, ironically, was the original film that was eventually made into Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which uh, was had Steve Martin and Michael Caine, which we did a few weeks ago with Mother Brother Brian. Levy also directed the pilot episode of I Love Lucy. Unfortunately, he uh, fell ill uh, with a virus during the filming of this movie, and George Marshall had to step in as a director, and this caused Do Not Disturb to kind of fall behind schedule. All right, let's just get into the movie. The intro is very unique. It's, it's animated, but it's done as a painting. And and meaning it kind of looks like a live-action painting. I think it's really cool for the time. And the opening theme song is sung by Doris Day, even though she is uncredited. If you didn't know, Doris Day was also a very popular singer before she became well-known as an actress. 
So she's Doris is in England and she's dropped off by a cab driver and he charges her eight shillings and six pence, which I tried to look up how much like the equivalent of this in, in US money. And maybe some of the fans from the UK can write in and tell me what how much eight shillings and six pence really is. I couldn't figure it out. So she had to go through what would be my worst nightmare traveling abroad, and that is figuring out the money exchange. Uh, so basically, it's a comedy routine involving Doris, the cab driver, and another passenger who wants the cab, and then all of a sudden, a police officer shows up that's wa- walking the beat. Uh, there's a great line where Doris says, isn't it silly that we can't all just use the same money? And the cab driver retorts that that was the original plan until that silly revolution from the Americans. <laughs> Rod Taylor wants a flat in London, but Doris would rather live out in the country in Kent, which is about 30 miles outside of London. For me, living in Silicon Valley, this seems like a normal commute, or actually, that would be an amazing commute if it was only 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Hermione Batterly plays the couple's landlady, Vanessa, and she's a fun character, kind of similar to how Thelma Ritter was in the Doris Day and Rock Hudson movies, and Batterly might be best known as Ellen, the maid in Mary Poppins. And I can kind of see where the, the movie European Vacation got their Big Ben bit by going around in circles a bunch of times as Doris and Rod Taylor kind of fall for the same trap trying to leave their country house to drop off Taylor in London for his job. Along with the fact that she sounds like she will strip all the gears off of her car as it crunches every time she shifts. Plus, she still drives on the United States side of the road, which is always a great trope for you know Americans living abroad. There's a funny scene where Doris thinks she finds a stray cat in her yard only to discover that it's a fox and there's a fox hunt going on with many dogs trying to catch the fox. She then lectures the men on horses trying to retrieve their prey. <laughs> and again, if you didn't know, Doris Day was a huge animal rights activist in real life, so this kind of fit her persona. She may have added this in. And there's also fun with goats roaming the property, even getting inside the house. So Taylor works as a general manager for a company that sells woolen fabrics, and so he kind of has to fit fashion around the wool products. But there's a learning curve for an American to learn how to conduct business in England. It's discovered that the main boss doesn't want his general managers to bring their wives to the big quarterly conference, but can bring a female friend if he wants. So you can kind of probably see where this one's going. So Taylor takes his secretary, played by Maura McGivney, uh, to dinner to get her nowhere better. But Doris is unknowingly left at home after setting up dinner with them, and she thinks he's simply working late. This is almost like a typical episode of Three's Company. The landlady just happens to be dining at the same restaurant that Taylor is also dining with his secretary. This, of course, leads to the landlady assuming that Taylor is having an affair. Taylor really hates the countryside and his commute, but Doris enjoys the country, but is stir-crazy and upset that Taylor's always gone for work. Doris uh, surprises Taylor at a company lunch gathering, which is at the company flat, and is subjected to smoke yak. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Doris happens to notice that a number of dresses in in one of the bedrooms, which upsets her, and she heads home. Uh, This leads her to talk to Vanessa and assume that, again, Taylor is having an affair. So Vanessa comes up with a plan to get even by finding Doris a lover of her own. Doris finally confronts Taylor the next morning about the closets, uh, the closet full of dresses, and Taylor explains that the dresses are from the fashion show that the company runs to display the fabrics they have. Taylor is exasperated with Doris's insinuations that he's cheating, which leads to a few hilarious back and forth between them. 
you know, Doris ends up receiving flowers from a guy named Paul Bellari, who is played by Sergio Fantoni, and then she has Vanessa call, but never say anything. You know, it's kind of an insinuation that's a male, male caller waiting for Doris to answer. Paul Bellari is actually a French interior designer who sent flowers for real due to missing an appointment with Doris. Taylor decides to confront Paul at his office, but instead th- his, uh, threatens his assistant. Paul gets wind of it and decides that he has to meet Doris in person because he's intrigued by another man threatening him over a woman he's never met. Doris and Paul go shopping together and he invites her to lunch uh, at his antique shop in Paris, which is about an hour away by plane. She decides, what the hell, and they go off. They visit one of Paul's friends' house in Paris with uh, where they have many children. There's a funny scene where the children are enamored with Doris because she's American. They ask her if she knows Rock Hudson, Cary Grant, or Daniel Boone. She said she doesn't, so they think that she actually isn't American. <laughs> she's shocked to discover that the kids are drinking wine. Why aren't they drinking Coca-Cola? <laughs> so it's interesting that... Um, so that was kind of a funny scene because they did that on purpose because she actually worked with Rock Hudson and Cary Grant. I'm not sure about Daniel Boone. Doris Day's always cute because she always uh, cr- her voice cracks whenever she tries to speak too high. Sometimes when she laughs as well. And there's a funny scene where Doris plays soccer in the street with some kids. I guess would be called considered football, as uh, our favorite guest Danielle likes to say. Yeah, you guys, it's, yeah, soccer with the hands. You know, football with the hands when when she talks about American football. <laughs> Doris actually seems like a good athlete and she can catch and kick without much effort. So then Doris ends up getting plastered from all the wine and beer and basically a lampshade on her head at the bar and restaurant that Paul takes her to. She ends up getting lost on the streets of Paris due to the heavy fog all while lugging around a a bottle of (laughs) wine with her. Because the fog is so heavy, the planes are not taking off, so she needs to stay in Paris with Paul. However, she ends up getting locked in the antique shop with Paul because his friend accidentally locked them in. So they continue to drink and get even more drunk, and Paul would definitely like to hook up with Doris, but she ends up getting sick and passing out and nothing happens. Of course, Rod Taylor finds out that Doris is in Paris with Paul and is enraged. Doris Day wakes up the next day horrified, thinking that something happened with Paul. Paul tries to wake her up and is hugging her just as Taylor shows up, of course, to the antique shop. Oh yeah, it's also the day of Rod and Doris's anniversary. Taylor then goes on a three-day conference in which wives are not allowed. Day goes to talk to Taylor at the conference, only to be dissuaded by Taylor's boss to go home, as it wouldn't be good for Taylor's job if it's discovered that he brought his wife. It is the 1960s. So Taylor actually goes back to the antique store to talk to Paul about what really happened between Doris and Paul. Of course, nothing happened. Uh, Doris is now at the party and the night of the conference, and he's act and she's acting like uh, Rod Taylor's secretary. So it's funny to see all these old guys dancing to the '60s rock of the of the day, and. Uh, the party is definitely like a good old boys club. Doris is wearing a very glittery, bright orange dress, which attracts the attention of everyone. There's a funny scene at the party as everyone wants to dance with her and someone throws a grape and it ends up in uh, Doris Day's dress and she ends up almost twerking to get her to get the, you know, the grape out. It, it almost looks like a Benny Hill skit. So, you know, again, this is a romantic comedy. You know things are going to work themselves out. But the end of the movie is really fun. And there's some madcap mix-ups that will make you laugh. And it's just typical of what audiences wanted at the time. But part of this is probably why Doris got out of Hollywood. She was kind of being typecast in these types of roles. And I think she just got bored with it. But they work. They're, they're, they're of the time. And I'm glad they were made. And, and they're fun to go back and watch. But again, as... 
as kind of Leonard Malton alluded to, this isn't like the best Doris Day movie, but if you've seen them all and you haven't seen this one, it's worth checking out. All right, some fun facts. There was a contest for a Doris Day lookalike, and the winner would win a trip to the film's premiere. The contest was called Doris for a Day. There were 43 lookalikes that traveled to Los Angeles to compete for the title. According to the Los Angeles Times, there were... Quote, fat Doris Days, six-foot Doris Days, and shrunken Doris Days, brown-haired Doris Days, and red-headed Doris Days, one beautiful Italian girl who didn't look like Doris at all, and one American who resembled Thelma Ritter. <laughs> all contestants were out- outfitted in matching wool-, wool suits, which made sense since Rod Taylor's character worked for a wool fabric company. The women toured Hollywood in the 20th Century Fox lot, and they posed for photographers, answered questions from a panel of judges. Three Americans and a woman from Norway made the finals and attended the world premiere of Do Not Disturb. However, the grand prize winner was Tula Matila from Helsinki, Finland, who was said to be a startling younger version of Doris Day. Matila won designer hats, a $500 bond, a wardrobe from the Wool Bureau, and a walk-on part on Doris Day's next film. So at the time of this release, the Film Daily called the movie a bright, colorful comedy, while the Hollywood Reporter called it a surefire, home-free box office hit. 
which was true because pretty much whatever Doris Day was in turned to gold. Again, I, I, I've talked about this on past episodes. The days of, no pun intended, of just having you know, a movie star like Doris Day, people would go see her. Didn't matter what the movie was like, and, and that just doesn't exist nowadays. Producers of the movie were Aaron Rosenberg and Martin Melcher. Uh, they already had a hit with Doris Day for the movie Move Over Darling that co-starred James Garner and Melcher. Again, was Doris Day's husband at the time, so you know that was a little bit of nepotism. But what he would do is he would put his name as a producer, which always pissed off Doris because he really didn't do anything. He, they really, by all accounts, from what I read, he wasn't a good guy, and part of the reason why she lost all her money was because of him. So even though the film is supposed to take place in England and France, everything was actually filmed in Los Angeles on the 20th Century Fox lot. This happened a lot back then. One of the more lavish sets was a Parisian hotel lobby and ballroom furnished with a rare Savignere carpet worth $35,000 and crystal chandeliers valued at $12,000 each. In addition, the country mansion that Dan Taylor were supposed to be living in during the film was entirely built on a soundstage. Pierre Salinger, who was the press secretary to both John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson, was cast in one scene at the American Consulate in Paris. However, this scene ended up being cut out for unknown reasons. So in her autobiography, Doris Day actually said that uh, Do Not Disturb was one of her least favorite films. Uh, along with The Ballad of Josie, Caprice, and Where Were You When the Lights Went Out. And <laughs> not not too surprisingly, these were all films that her husband, Martin Melcher, signed her to do without her consent. All right, so yeah, again, if you're a fan of Doris Day, you want to check this out. If you're a fan of screwball comedies and lighthearted comedies and nothing too deep, and you, you know what's going to happen, but you enjoy the ride, this is the type of movie for you. It's not going to be as good as the... Rock Hudson movies or anything she did with Cary Grant or James Garner, but that's okay. Not every movie has to be most amazing, and again, Doris Day was one of my favorite actresses, so that's why I own this, and I'll put this on from time to time, and it's fun. So there you go. So hopefully you discover something that you've never heard of, and you'll go check it out. All right, until next week, this is Brian signing off. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. 
If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also said. Science. Science also said, my second favorite podcast is, it doesn't matter, the rest suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science.